Hey, ABLE community. Welcome back. Steph here with a hello and a little bit of an update. Um, so as we are entering into 2024, we wanted to give a quick update and fill you in on some things because it has been a minute since we've recorded. Um, not intentionally, but because we got busy at the end of the year and there were some changes in our health and just the craziness, I think, of wrapping up 2023 took us away from ABLE. I would say took us away from recording, but didn't take us away in planning and thinking and dreaming and scheming. So I am here today to, first of all, wish our community a happy new year and hoping that in these early days of January, uh, we are all feeling perhaps a sense of groundedness um, and that maybe the snowstorms haven't quite hit you like they've hit us here in the Northeast, but uh, we've had some fun in the snow, Marcellus and I, and, and our pups snow, but Really, what we wanted to do was to take the time to say to our community that, yes, we are back. We took some time to look at some ways to make ABLE sustainable, given our schedules and given our limited energy resources. So we've used some new planning tools. We've been very intentional and realistic about our workflow. And we just had some good old Kate and Steph time, which is where really ABLE stems from. And so we were able to envision what we would like the next couple recordings to be. So we're thankful for your support. Thank you for listening and thank you for giving us feedback and also for helping inspire us and in our content. So what we wanted to do today, or at least in this short little clip you're getting from me, is to share with you a little bit about uh, a health update for me. So um you know, I think I could really think back to those recordings and hear a lot of still pain and suffering and uncertainty with myasthenia gravis. And so I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous episode, but my husband and I determined that we were going to go for a third opinion. And our second opinion was fine, didn't really give us much. And that was about eight months ago. So we said, okay, hmm, where might we go for a third opinion? And Coincidentally, I was at one of my dear friend's weddings and her mother was talking to my sister about the Mayo Clinic and how she had some unresolved health issues and she went there. She was seen by doctors, went through different treatments for a week and came out with a treatment plan, a real understanding of what was going on with her and it really changed her life. So uh, she kind of referred to it as my week at Mayo. And I thought to myself, wow, that would be really quite remarkable to do. And I didn't know how possible it would be. So actually, back in the time we really got able started, I had applied, kind of you have to apply to Mayo or like you go onto their website, you give a lot of information. I had an initial, an initial, <clears throat> excuse me, screening call and then a follow-up appointment and basically waited to hear whether I was someone that the neurology department would take on. And I was very grateful um, in, I believe, late October, maybe early November, to get news that, yes, indeed, you can be seen as a patient at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. 
So they said, we can see you um, right after Thanksgiving. And I was like, I need a little bit of time. (laughs) I need to get myself right. So we ended up going, myself, Marcellus, and my mom, for a week to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And I wanted to share just a little blurb about what that was like, because it was really quite remarkable. And I do think it is a game changer uh, for me and my body and my caregivers and my treatment plan. But I'm going to summarize it because I think, you know, as we talk about chronic illness, chronic disease, chronic pain, or something that you are dealing with in a short amount of time, but it's very intense. There's a lot of voices and you have to kind of really discern whose voice is going to be most helpful to you. And my neurologist at home, his voice is very helpful. Um, My PT, my massage therapist, my friends, but I did feel like there was a voice missing or just someone with something else in their brain that that could help me. So luckily my insurance covered not as great coverage um, as if I was going to a doctor around here, but they did cover services at Mayo Clinic. So we invested, we bought plane tickets, we stayed at a hotel and my husband and I said, all right, whatever the bills are from the tests and the visits, we'll make it work because we're at that point where we really need a deeper investigation of what's going on. So we went and we had our first appointment on Monday with the Department of Neurology. And what was most striking to me and what is most profound about the experience is when I was greeted by this neurologist, very kind, um, but she said to me, you know, I can read your chart. I have read your chart and there's a story there, but I don't want to lead with any of that. I want you to tell me your story. And that was so powerful because a lot of times what providers do, because it's a way to transition with a new patient is to say, oh, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Stephanie, I see here that you have myasthenia gravis. So right away you're identified by your ailment. By her not doing that and giving me the space to tell her not what diagnosis I am, but who I am and how this diagnosis has impacted my life, I immediately felt a freedom. And we actually had, oh gosh, we were probably in that first appointment for like an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. So we were seen by her. I was examined by her. And then um, another person from the Department of the Neurology, um, a supervisor, came in and, and talked as well to us. And so they are very clear at Mayo. We are not, you know, going to be your neurologist, but we're, this whole week at Mayo is a consult. It's to bring another set of labs, tests, and minds to the table to understand you and your complexity, which was wonderful. So then from there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, after I left the office, I went up to, they kind of like 
call them concierges. Um, and they made the rest of my appointments for the week. So I got an EMG, an EKG, a sleep study, a pulmonary function test. Oh my gosh, I feel like I got a couple more too. And they were all set up throughout the week. So it was pretty grueling for someone, you know, that's sick or struggling. You get put through a lot. And then after that week, you go home. And the following week, you have a follow-up appointment. What was so cool was that basically everything I did in a week, when I looked back, it was everything that I achieved in a year. All the different doctors I saw at Mayo in one week were pretty much how many doctors I was trying to get into over a year. And that alone is such a privilege. The other thing that was really interesting to me was the ophthalmologist I saw, for example, was a neuro-ophthalmologist. The speech pathologist that I saw, I had had two speech therapy consults before and was kind of told there's not really much we can do because, you know, when your muscles are working correctly, you speak just fine. Um, or, you know, the your voice quality and it, and it changing or its raspiness or that feeling of your tongue being heavy, that's just part of myasthenia gravis. Maybe you should take some more mestidon to help with that, um, that nerve connection. But this speech pathologist, I think, kind of cracked the code. She was noticing that, and this is true with all of my tests, when they came back and I had my follow-up appointment, that my myasthenia gravis, everything in my peripheral nervous system seemed to be doing just fine. It was very intact. The nerve conduction test is one of those big tests where they kind of zap you in different parts of your body to see how your nerve responds to that stimulation. And by all like, by all means, my myasthenia gravis looked like well in control, not in a sustainable way because prednisone is not sustainable, but in a way that I think sparked as much curiosity with the doctors as Mayo at Mayo as with me. And I'm not sure that my neurologist at home has that had that same curiosity of still exploring why my symptoms remained. And that's the key difference. I've been thinking about this a lot. When symptoms remain and the doctor that diagnosed you is just so in it with you, I think sometimes they fail to investigate or be curious or they outsource that curiosity to other providers. What I loved at Mayo was that that curiosity that my neurologist had was that same curiosity that each one of the doctors I saw that was a neuro-specific speech pathologist, ophthalmologist, respiratory therapist, etc., was bringing to me. And so that high level of specificity and, and interdisciplinary dialogue between these providers, I mean, that is such a privilege to be a patient there because you get it all. You get the team, right? Versus having to put the pieces of your pu of the puzzle together by yourself. You know, I saw a rheumatologist. I saw an endocrinologist. I saw a pulmonologist. I have my neurologist. I saw a gastrointestinal GI doctor. I'm just going to say that. But I had to kind of bring those people into dialogue with one another. And there really wasn't much communication. So I felt like I was trying to figure things on by, 
figure things out and on my own. With Mayo, the integration between the doctors felt so... I felt like I was being held. I was being held by this team that decided to take me on. So now fast forward, right? We go, we stay, we have the tests. It's a week later and we have the follow-up appointment. And for some reason I was extremely nervous. I think I was afraid of what they were going to say. And I was afraid of there's nothing we can do for you. So when the doc gets on the phone with us, she's like, I am so excited to see you. We had a time to meet as a team. All the tests came in and I have an exciting new diagnosis for you and some steps that we think would be good moving forward. So time out. I immediately start freaking out. I don't know how you can get excited for a new diagnosis, but I am I grab Marcellus's hand because I am unsure of what is about to come. And of course, he's like cool, calm, collected, level-headed in it and whispers to me, just let's see what she has to say. So she confirms myasthenia gravis is intact, though not for the long run. We suggest um, that you get the surgery, the thymectomy, and then here's another treatment plan. It's your choice. We'll tell, you know, your current provider that we consult with them. Um, but, you know, it's up to you. And so we definitely agreed. And in fact, sharing with the community that on February 5th, I'll be getting the thymectomy and I feel good about it. I feel affirmed in it. It's kind of just been the elephant in the room, I think, and um, I should get it. So that was one thing. And then a plan for treatment that will change to try and get me off of, you know, the prednisone. And so then I'm like, okay, well, what is the other diagnosis? And she said, you know, I... I feel really lucky to be working with you because you have kind of the cardinal symptoms for myalgic encephalomyelitis or what was previously called chronic fatigue syndrome. And so like many others, my mind went to, okay, chronic, I get that fatigue. Okay, chronic fatigue, but I didn't really understand the syndrome part of it. Or I didn't understand the fancy myalgic encephalomyelitis. Like, why are you calling fatigue something so fancy? Now, mind you, that is my perception. And she was very quick to say, this isn't fatigue. This isn't chronic fatigue. This is neurological and it's of your central nervous system. And I was like, what? Okay. All right. I was stunned, really. And she said, you know, Mayo has been doing some of the critical work on trying to educate providers on how to actually diagnose this. Uh, there are certain signs and symptoms, which I had, which I will say do overlap with myasthenia gravis. And my provider, I will admit, did get a little defensive about it, saying, well, you can't really part and parcel what would be um MECFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. I'm calling it ME. Um, what what would be ME and what would be MG? And I agree, you cannot part and parcel, but there is a definite answer to why the infusion therapies and the treatment plan that I'm on for myasthenia gravis, why it isn't bringing me any relief. 
Because by all means, on high doses of prednisone, people with myasthenia gravis thrive. With IVIG three times a week, people thrive. But I am still bedridden. I am in a wheelchair. I am cognitively sometimes very slowed down. I still have problems with my speech. So one could say, well, you know, then your myasthenia gravis isn't in control. Well, the studies at Mayo say that it is. So what is going on? The symptoms that align with the ME are the fatigue after exertion. So it's called um, post-malaise fatigue or like after I go to work for a day, I'm in bed for post-exertion malaise. That's what it is. After a day of work, I'm crashed in bed the next day and kind of this cycle of I can get up and do something and then I have to rest. Um, The light sensitivity and the sound sensitivity, I was always turning lights off, always like sitting in the dark at work. I worked with my lights off. Um, One thing for sure was um, I hunch a lot and fall forward and I thought to myself, hmm, that must just be the MG and my muscles being weak. I have a really hard time sitting up and I sometimes when I'm sitting in a chair, by, you know, 15 minutes in, I'm slunched down with my, you know, head on my arms and come to find out that that's actually not myasthenia gravis. That's one of the symptoms of ME. I have several others. I literally check the boxes for this. She said to me too, a lot of providers don't think that this is a thing. That's my, I guess, Spark Notes version of her she kind of gave me a warning, I'd say. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I can, I could take that on. <laughs> uh, at this point, with all my experience with Abel, with Caitlin, like, I can, I can handle that. So now myasthenia gravis and myalgic encephalomyelitis. So I go on to the support groups into the community for ME and I feel so seen. I feel so seen. It, it, was the missing link here. So now that I know it, people, uh, you know, will say, oh, how was Mayo? I say, oh, I got this new diagnosis. Oh, so what's the treatment? The hard part is there is no exact treatment for it yet. Uh, I've boosted my electrolytes, but most of it is trying to pace yourself and find a baseline of heart rate variability to figure out how you can do your basically essential um, activities of daily living and not tire. But when you're in this constant state of weakness and in this looping, it's, it's really hard to get out of that crash as they call it. I'm going to link actually a couple things um, in this recording to inform our audience about MECFS because it is not what you think. It is not fatigue. It's not chronic fatigue. It's a actual neurological syndrome, disease, however you want to call it. And I've really learned from the community that um, it's really hard to get diagnosed. There are some overlaps with long COVID actually. And um, when, when we really sat with it, Marcellus and I, and we looked at it, we were like, yes, this was worth going to Mayo because no one had ever said anything about this. 
not the rheumatologist, not the endocrinologist, not the neurologist. No one had ever brought this up because it was always myasthenia gravis, myasthenia gravis, myasthenia gravis. And yes, I tried a new infusion, Vivgar. Perhaps that mechanism doesn't work for me. But then also like if I'm getting prednisone and IVIG, like I said, why am I not essentially like moving and grooving, I'd say. The reality is there's something else going on here. And Mayo found out what that was. And it brought me a lot of comfort, but also actually brought on a lot of grief. Because I thought to myself, oh my God, am I in a wheelchair because of MG? Yeah, of course I am. Well, actually, like a lot of people with severe ME are in wheelchairs because they walk and then their legs buckle and they can't breathe and their central nervous system says it's time to shut down. So um, that was sad and that was hard for my family. That was hard for Marcellus and I to have to reframe. Like I had put all of this on MG. I said, like, my senior gravis is it. You've done all this to me. And now, well, yeah, I have the MG and now I have ME. And I I can't tell you which is which, but I do know that both are my reality. So we had a follow-up neurology appointment and the doctor from Mayo had a conversation on the phone with my doctor at home. There's more to say about this. That's going to be an episode in and of itself, but as a patient, you can be put in a particularly difficult situation when doctors disagree or perhaps they believe that their training or current clinical practice informs them better than the other. And as in someone who previously in graduate studies was in the academic world of theology, and now I'd say is in contextual or lived theology or what we call ministry. The academy informs practice. The practice informs the academy. And um, it was, it has been difficult and it's stayed with me that perhaps my neurologist who I have a wonderful relationship with somehow felt in competition, threatened or blindsided by the findings at Mayo. Um, it's, it's something I need to investigate further, but, you know, ultimately Marcellus stepped in and was really able to speak on my behalf in that relationship with my home neurologist about why Mayo was important for us. I still don't know where he stands on myalgic encephalomyelitis. Um, I also brought it up to another provider actually two others. And there was a lot of cautiousness, not necessarily disbelief, but I think when you bring something to a provider that they've never heard of before, perhaps their first inclination is to be more defensive rather than inquisitive. Um, And uh, I think the work that particularly uh, an organization called ME Action is doing is really trying to offer education not just for providers, but for the world about what this is. A um, lot more to say on that, but I'm really now at a place, you know, about a month later where I've digested Mayo. I've digested these other appointments. 
I've started to use new technology to help me pace. I've learned more about ME in this and see direct correlations in improvement with my health based on my behavior. It's still not great. I'm still very sedentary, but even making the decision to get the surgery was one that I almost needed someone to tell me you should absolutely be getting this. And Mayo did that for me. And I'm getting it done at my home hospital. We have an amazing thoracic surgeon. So that's on February 5th. But um, it is hopeful. It's hard. And there definitely was a sense of grief and loss. And, uh, and, and at sometimes I do get very, why me? Why both of these things? Why now bipolar, myasthenia gravis, and ME? It's all very intense. Um, did I ever think I would have any of these things? Did I ever think I would have anything neurological? No. Um, but it, it is, it is the, the world I wake up in every day. And I oftentimes wonder why it has been given to me all of this. But then whenever I feel that I just know I have to go into community. I know I have to reach out to people who have MG or ME. I have to reach out to people who are chronically ill. I have to articulate that to my partner, to my mom, to my loved ones. I have to make time to talk to a friend on the phone. I have to be very active. And honestly, ABLE is part of that. ABLE is part of recovery, I think, for me. And I would say the same for Caitlin, uh, recovery is a word now I'm using a little bit more because you can, some people do recover from ME. It takes a really long time and a lot of hard work, um, but there's a possibility there. And with MG, it's going to be a little bit more nuanced with the surgery and the changes in medications. I need another six months to a year to see how I do with that. So able, I think, and why it never truly leaves Caitlin or I is because it is part of our recovery stories. So with that, we welcome you to our 2024 uh, continuation of episodes and series and seasons. Um, we most definitely wish you health and happiness in the new year, and we look forward to our next episode. And please remember, no matter what, you are always able.